All right, well, welcome back to week two of First Peter. Uh, we're going to be continuing on at breakneck speed. We're probably going to even get through more than two verses today. So let's take some time and um, pray before we go to God's word. Father, we thank you that in your mercy to us, you have given us your word so that we would know uh, what is imperishable, that we would know the um, work of Christ in our hearts, that we would know you as Father. And we pray, Lord, that you would be at work in us today, that you would quicken our hearts and our minds uh, to be able to receive your word and to be changed by it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, First Peter. So, like I said, we only went through two verses last time, but now we're going to pick up the pace and get all the way through seven verses. Uh, these seven verses, though, uh, are uh, pretty dense, okay? There's a lot of stuff here. You know, the Apostle Paul sometimes whips off uh, a sentence that's like 100 words long. Well, the Apostle Peter's not going to be outdone, right? We're, in these, these seven verses are actually two sentences, and these two sentences have, uh, are just absolutely packed with theological truths. And so uh, today, the only people who are going to benefit from this, uh, these seven verses are theologians. So is there anyone here who's a theologian? All right, now look, I ask you this every single time. It's my trick question that I open with every single time. How many of you are theologians? You all are theologians. There are only two kinds of people in this world. There are good theologians and there are bad theologians, right? There are those who know God and who he is, and there are those who don't know who God is. And the way that we know who God is is through his word. And so that's what we come to today. We come today as uh, those who need to be uh, built up as theologians. And the reason particularly... Well, all the time, but particularly in these verses, we need to be built up as theologians because there's always an opposing theology that is being pounded on us continuously. And it comes from society because, like I said, everyone's a theologian. So out there when you're watching TV, you're being taught theology. Whenever you are talking with somebody around the water cooler, you're having a theological discussion. Whenever you do anything, there's always some theology that is being um, taught to you, and it's a matter of whether or not you're going to recognize it and whether or not you're going to believe it. Because if you don't recognize it, you'll just slowly believe it, because things that are taught to you that you hear over and over again, you'll slowly just come to believe. So in God's word today, what he's going to do is give us um, the true theology, which of course the world will always oppose. And so we're going to look at three fundamental truths today that are given in his word so that we can become good theologians, which means that we will become heart theologians. So let's go to the Lord in reading his word from 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed, oh, here, let me put it up on the screen for you. Sorry, I always forget about this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So our first, the first thing that we're taught here is one of the uh, biggest, most uh, opposed theologies of all, which is the fatherhood of God. Uh, the fatherhood of God is opposed, uh, of course, out in the world, right? You would expect that. In fact, all fatherhood is opposed in the world. But the fatherhood of God is opposed all around us. I mean, why is that? Why is the fatherhood of God opposed all around us? What do you always have to go back to? It's opposed in your heart, right? The reason that it's opposed around us is because it's opposed in every one of our hearts. But the fatherhood of God, whether it's opposed explicitly or subtly, Right, so whether you're in a church service that just refuses to, to use the word father in prayer, whether uh, we pray simply to God, or whether we're in a church where we uh, pray to God our mother, right? I mean, those are explicit versus implicit, but still, it's opposed to the fatherhood of God, which is largely due to the fact that we are trying to oppose God's authority. That's from the original sin of Adam, right? I mean, original sin teaches uh, is that we will be God ourselves. We will throw off God's authority and we will have authority. But that authority that we're trying to throw off anytime we try to oppose the fatherhood of God and get rid of his authority, we also, by killing authority, also kill all the other benefits Okay, and notice I said all the other benefits because God's authority is a benefit to us. But today we're gonna talk about the other benefit and that benefit is hope. If you look around at the world, would you characterize the world today as a hopeful world? No, I mean, there's not a word I think that's more opposed to what you would see just looking around. There's, there's no hope in, and that's why there's a constant fight. There's a conflict around us that surrounds us all the time because there is no hope and that hope uh, doesn't exist because we don't understand God as Father. Because where does that hope come from? Well, according to the Apostle Peter, he comes out and says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. God the Father has caused us to be born again. Now, you might have grown up in a church. I grew up in a church that used the term born again a lot, right? It's, it became kind of a catchphrase after a while. Um, you know, you get saved, ask Jesus into your heart, and you get born again, right? That's what happens. But what does it mean to be born again? I mean, this is, this is one of the most powerful truths that you can possibly understand. There's nothing more fundamental than this in a way because we understand God the Father in his nature as one of the persons of, of the Godhead. He is distinct in one particular way from the Son eternally 
And that is that he, uh, that the son is eternally begotten of the father. The son is eternally begotten of the father. That God in his eternal generation of the son is in relationship to that son. He, Jesus Christ is not created. He's not uh, a created being like we are, but eternally generated by the Father, uh, of the Father. And the Father in his, in his nature is Father because he generates a Son, eternally generated, begotten of God. And what we see is that he, that is in his nature. And so what was in his nature, what was the Father's nature as when Jesus Christ came in the flesh and died is that his father vindicated him and raised him from the dead, that there is a resurrection. That resurrection has a huge impact on us, right? Because how, how does that affect us? That's not just something that happened out there that has no effect on us. In fact, it has the most fundamental effect on us possible. And that is that we are regenerated. We ha- are regenerated in Christ. We see that we, God has caused us that we didn't cause ourselves. There's nothing in ourselves that caused us to be born. Did your children cause themselves to be born? No. They weren't around at that point, right? You caused them to be born. Now, what about you? Did you cause yourself to be born? No, right? None of us caused ourselves to be born. And yet, we can tend to think of ourselves in some spiritual sense as causing ourselves to be born. Well, you know, I put my trust in God. I, I trusted Jesus. I learned about him. I thought that that was a good way to go. Uh, you know, it was, it was something that I thought would be beneficial for my life. Uh, someone told me it'd be my uh, opportunity for my best life now, whatever that is. But that's not what happened. What actually happened was that God the Father God the Father caused us to be born again. And so what does that mean to be born again? Well, that picture, that picture is that he has caused us by his great mercy to be, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, those who were dead now are completely new. Right? That's the point of being born again. We've been going through this in the book of Romans. Pastor Bailey has been teaching us uh, out of, of the federal headship of Adam. Right, Everyone who is born of Adam dies. Everyone who is born of Adam dies. We have, are dead in Adam because he sinned, all have sinned. And because he is uh, under God's curse, we are are under God's curse as well. We're under his wrath because we are in Adam. But just as truly, everyone who is in Christ is a new creation, something completely different. What hope did we have in Adam? What was the hope? What was was it that we were looking for? What was our expectation? Our expectation was death. But anyone who is in Christ Anyone who is in Christ is born of God and are children of God. We are sons of God being born again. That's a living hope, a completely different thing that has never happened before. We have walked into something completely different. By the will of God, we have 
been made new. So, um, and that hope is not something that is kind of a pie in the sky or just some uh, general uh, principle uh, or some abstraction. That hope is something very particular. Because God is our Father and we've been born again, how does he describe that hope? Well, the hope is an inheritance. Right? You can't have an inheritance if you don't have a father. And the fatherhood of God, the blessing that we have in the fatherhood of God is the inheritance that we have. And that inheritance is described uh, in these four things. There are four things that describe the inheritance that we're given. And that inheritance is imperishable. It has, it, it is unable to be destroyed. Right now, we're, what we're going to do now is look at these things as opposed to those who, who uh, someone who's been born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ versus those who have been born in Adam. And you can see that this, these are all completely opposites, right? Those who have been born in Adam, we know just looking around, everything is perishable. We try to deny that fact because we want to be our own God. But you look around and everything is perishable. We see it by God's work. We see uh, plants dying as winter comes. We see through the, the circulation of the seasons, the cycles of the seasons, we see things dying. And of course, we don't want to admit it ourselves, but what's the problem? We're dying, right? We are perishing. We see ourselves perishing. As much as we try to hold it back, we see ourselves perishing. But with the hope that we have in Christ, we have a living hope, one that is not perishing, but one that is imperishable. The hope that we have cannot die. The next thing is that that hope is undefiled. It's undefiled, it has no corruption in it. Now let's consider those who were born of Adam. What is, where is it in your life that something, that there's some aspect of your life that is pure? that has no corruption, that isn't being degraded, right? There's nothing in our lives, when we look around, there's nothing in our lives that isn't being in some way degraded and corrupted. Whether it's a relationship that we have, there's always something in it that is defiled. There's something in it that, that we don't quite, even the closest people that we have, there's something defiled in that relationship because we can't uh, meet together in intimacy like we should. If it's something that we're trying to accomplish, it's the work that we have to, to do. There's something defiled about it. But the hope of the inheritance, the living hope that we have, the inheritance that we have in God, what he has given to us as an inheritance is undefiled. As when we go to him in that inheritance, we will no longer have any corruption at all. And then you see that what we have now is fading, right? The things that we have just slowly disappear. Uh, not only are they dying, but just we can't hold on to anything because everything is passing through our fingers. But instead, the inheritance that we have is reserved in heaven for us, unfading. It's reserved in heaven and it's unfading. It, it's the most sure thing that we can possibly have. There's no... Um, no description that we can uh, have that's better than this. You know, but 
we can't, it's very hard to get a hold of this idea of faith, in fact, er, of hope, because really it's impossible, right? This, it's so beyond. When you hear this description and you think about the things that you hope for, they, the things you hope for are greater than the things you see, right? There's something you're looking forward to, but the problem with this hope, it is greater, but it's so much greater, it's so completely other, that it's really hard for us to even have this hope. In fact, it's impossible unless the Lord blesses us, right? He, he, in fact, the apostle Paul prayed for us because this is something that we cannot have on our own. We can't have this hope just in ourselves. We need to have our eyes enlightened to it. So the apostle Paul's prayer, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance to the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Okay, this this is uh, the Apostle Paul, not the Apostle Peter, but you see these are parallel verses. What is the basis of our hope? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? In his resurrection, we look to his resurrection and we see a hope that we have and that hope is the surpassing greatness of the inheritance that we have. Every bit as real as the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his, every bit is real. That is the, real, the reality of our inheritance. It's the reality of our inheritance. Um, when I was working through this, um, this hope, you know, it's, it's good that we understand hope, right? If we're going to be theologians, we have to know what the hope is. So what are those things? Well, the, that hope is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's reserved for us. It's unfading. All these things are true. But what we need to have with this hope is to understand that this is a living hope, right? This isn't just a hope that we have any more than faith, right? Faith is no good unless it's living. And the same thing is true with the word of God. What, do we, what, is, the, what is a living hope anyway? The, the word of God is living. Faith is living uh, if it's effective. What, what does that mean anyway? What is a living hope? Well, it's something that actually works. It does something. That's the hope that we have. The hope that we have isn't, um, isn't inactive. God's word is living. It's living and active. It does things in us. All right, what about faith? The faith that we have, the living faith, as is, is James opposes it to dead faith, dead faith can't do anything. Dead faith, we can know things, but it doesn't actually do anything. And the same thing with this hope. If the hope, if all you walk away with from today is what hope is, yeah, okay, you know, I, I know someday out there we have an inheritance, undefiled, that's not living hope. What is living hope? Well, living hope, living hope is one that accomplishes something. And the living hope that we have is described very um, there are a lot of things that living hope does. Here are just some of the, the very specific things that living hope does in us. Do you have trouble being 
bold? Do you have trouble speaking the truth to those around you as you're evangelizing or even as you're talking to other believers, being able to speak truth? The boldness that we have can come from this hope. You know, in, to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. The hope that we have that's a living hope, we know it's a living hope, if it actually creates boldness in our speech, we are able to speak the truth, we're able to proclaim God's word, we're able to speak where we need to speak, where does that come from anyway? That doesn't come from simple duty, that comes from duty that has in its end a hope, a hope of an inheritance. What else does a living hope do? Living hope acts as a helmet, a, the hope of salvation as a helmet. It protects our minds. Whenever we're under attack from all sorts of falsehood, what is gonna protect our minds anyway? It's the hope of salvation, the hope that we have in God. It's a protective, a living hope protects us. And a living hope is also an anchor. This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. Whenever we're being tossed, whenever you're feeling that pressure to just be wavering back and forth, that wavering, um, we have an anchor. It's a living hope that we have. And that living hope actually does other things too. One of the things that it does is our sanctification. The Apostle John says, beloved, now we are children of God. Right? This is, again, this is, where does this come from? It comes from the regeneration that we have in the Father. He has given us new life. We're born again. Now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So we have this as a hope. We know that through the work of Jesus Christ, the first fruits that God has raised from the dead, we know that that's true. And if we have that hope living in us, it actually does something. What does it do? Anyone who has that hope purifies himself. Right? Anyone, we, those who have hope prepare themselves and we're transformed as we're purified because we look forward. We know that we're gonna be like Jesus and so right now, what are we doing? Having that hope, we're being transformed. We're putting off the old man. We're putting on the new because we have a hope and it's that hope that actually acts as a lever for us. It gives us the strength to be able to do that because whoever has that hope that living hope in himself purifies himself. If you have trouble uh, in obedience and sanctification, maybe it's a lack of hope. You know, if you have trouble in your steadfastness in ongoing in just day-to-day -day life, in ongoing uh, making it through day-to-day, -day, maybe it's a lack of hope. You know, we need this hope. Now, I can just tell you that, you know, hey, here's the hope. You know, now you should be hopeful. I think that that was my biggest struggle in working through this passage. I, I don't really, frankly, consider myself a very hopeful person, right? And so I was really struggling with this because I think, well, what is it that holds me back from hope? You know, why aren't we more hopeful? Do you have any ideas about that for yourself? Why aren't, why aren't you more hopeful? I mean, if this stuff is true, do you believe this is true? 
first of all, if you think this is true, shouldn't this like radically change your life, like day to day, minute to minute kind of thing? What do you think, Ben? Sorry, I'm in. Okay, it makes you more vulnerable. In what way? Yeah, that's right. I mean, why don't we hope? It's because we're afraid of disappointment, right? It, it really is a matter of being, of just self-protection. What else? Yeah, that's right. If, if we really have this hope of a new life, that new life is pretty scary, right? That new life can be uh, a little dangerous for us. It can cause us suffering. Good. What else? Yeah, that's, to have hope is to be, uh, you know, that's just pie in the sky. That's, that's you know, you're being poly Pollyanna about this thing. I mean, really, if you're going to be, we need to be a little more skeptical of this. We need to be cynical. We need to embrace reality, right? All those people who just talk about heaven all the time, they aren't dealing with real life. Yeah, that's right. So avoiding avoiding suffering. What else, Lane? Yeah. Yeah. Good. I was hoping that you'd bring that up too, because worldliness is worldliness really is the uh, it is what opposes hope, right? It's a it's a deadly sin that we don't uh, consider too often because it's so. Uh, below the surface. Worldliness is one of the things that wars against us. You know, I know that a lot of us really suffer with doubt. Everyone, in fact, everyone suffers with doubt. The sin of, of doubt and despair do fight against hope. And um, in many cases, we, um, we have a lot more doubts than we want to let on, right? If, when you come to church, this isn't really the place where you want to talk about all your doubts, right? Because don't you want to seem like a pretty spiritual person? Yeah, I have a lot of hopes. Uh, you know, I, oh, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. And, but we have a lot of suffering with doubt. And so just telling you to hope doesn't help. Because really, when you look at it, if, if you let your guard down a little bit, don't you just want to say, like, all, everything that I just talked about, isn't that just too good to be true? I mean, isn't it really just too, too good to be true? I mean, I think that maybe gets to the cynical part of it because, really, I mean, do we want, I mean, is it right to have that kind of hope? Shouldn't we just grin and bear it? Uh, isn't this the life that we've been given? Um, there's just too much dissonance with reality, right? Reality being defined by what I see around me. 
just way too much dissonance. Everything I see looks nothing like hope. Um, yeah. Yeah, so there's, yeah, we do have to face uh, the reality of life, you know, as Christians, we have to look everything firm in the face, but at the same time, we have to um, know that we, we have a sure foundation, that we have really touched that bottom, and we do have a firm foundation. That's right, and, and what, what, this, what this does, in order for us to have, what we're really talking about here is the assurance of our hope. Because me just telling you have hope isn't going to do you any good. You have to have some assurance of hope. And where does the assurance of hope come from? Well, it comes from, again, that reality. And the reality is another thing that we deny, which is the need of salvation. The need of salvation. We actually have a need of salvation. right? Hope uh, is, is something that is not seen. Right, you have to get to this point first. You actually have to say along with the Apostle Paul, wretched man that I am, who is gonna free me from this body of death? That is the reality. I mean, the reality is we're living in this body of death. And so hope doesn't come without salvation. Hope doesn't come without salvation. You wanna cut hope away from salvation, you'll never get to hope. Because this hope is beyond anything. It's not just hoping to improve. You know, the world will teach you, uh, we have a hope that we can kind of improve on what we have now. But that's not what, that's not it at all. The hope that we have requires salvation. This body of death has to be done away with. And to fight against our doubts, the Lord has been so kind as to teach us about the perseverance that we have in him. We can persevere because we have this reserved in heaven for us who are protected by the power of God through, say, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. This hope that we have hasn't been revealed right now, but the salvation that we have, we, we know by faith, right? And it's through the power of God. This faith didn't come to us because we earned it or because we're smart enough to have it. This faith is a gift of God. And so as you struggle with doubts, we have this firm foundation that God himself, by his own power, his infinite power, is able to keep us for salvation. That is the assurance that we have. In this faith that he's given to us, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So faith is what we need. If you're lacking in hope, it really means that you're lacking in faith, right? Because faith, at least that assurance of hope, what we feel we have, we know we have an objective hope out there, but if I'm going to have a, a hope that I can feel, if I can have a hope that I have assurance in, what that shows us, if I don't have assurance that it's, the problem is a lack of faith. Because faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for and the conviction of what is not seen. So we know, even though we haven't seen it, we know it's true. And that faith is the means by which God saves us then. Faith is the means by which he saves us. The power of God is at work in us through faith. And that faith has to be a tested faith. 
In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This war against uh, hope uh, that comes by doubt and this worldliness, God has a, a way of uh, waging war back against that. And we have to decide, uh, you know, are we going to walk along in God's way of warfare or are we going to walk in other ways? God's way of warfare is dangerous because uh, from, the man, from man's point of view, we don't have, uh, it's not something that we generate ourselves. It is by faith. The faith that we have, though, comes by suffering. And that faith is just like gold, right? And that's what he's trying to compare it to. If we want to have this hope, if we want to have assurance of this hope, we need a tested faith. So how is faith like gold? He compares it favorably here first. In what way is faith like gold? It's, yes, it's, so it's precious. Now, in one, in one way, that's a contrast because faith is even more precious. But it's good, that's right. It's good. It's something that's sought after. It's a good thing in itself. And what else? How is, how is the goodness of that gold revealed? How do you know that you have good gold? By fire. It's, it's tested. That's what this testing, uh, the proof of your faith, this is the genuine testing. Right, so this, the concept of the genuine testing. What you do with gold is you heat it up till it melts. That's pretty hot. That's really hot. Gold doesn't melt very readily. It takes a lot of heat. And that heat does something. What does it do to gold? What it does is it causes all the impurities to float to the top and then you can brush them off and then that gold is refined. But then what happens if you want really good gold is you heat it up again. And when you heat it up again until it melts, then what happens is it's been tested. Over time, what happens is that you've had, you have then tested gold. And that gold is precious. But what's more precious? A tested faith. A tested faith is even more precious. And why is that? according to this passage. Why is it even better than gold? It's not perishable, right? It's not perishable. Gold is about the closest thing that we have. It's one of those elements that's about the closest thing that we have to be able to understand in being incorruptible. Gold is not corrupted, right? Gold doesn't tarnish. That's why we make things out of it. Gold doesn't tarnish. It's a very uh, uh, unreactive metal, and so it has a lot of, it's, it's not corruptible, and yet it still perishes. But how much of the time do we chase after the things that look to us like don't perish um, and put our hope in those things? Um, anyone been putting their hope in the stock market? Yeah, uh, I hope not. Um, the things that appear to be strong are not strong, right? Even gold. And he compares it, the Lord compares it to gold, the, the best thing, the most incorruptible thing that we have. But what do we know? That it still perishes. But our faith, 
that's attested faith is an imperishable reality. And so we get back to our theme, right? Suffering, trusting, and doing what is right. That's what the book of 1 Peter is about. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. The testing now reveals the fruit later because what is perishable is dying, but what is imperishable is raised forever. It's shown to be imperishable, to be unchanging. And how does that happen? It only happens through testing. And so this testing gives us great benefit. And there are three benefits that he talks about to suffering. Even though the world in its theology says avoid suffering, there are three benefits that he lines out. And he lines them out kind of poetically here. The benefits of a tested faith. He lays them out poetically in the sense of past, present, future. Okay, so what are the benefits of this tested faith? The tested faith says that even though we have not seen him, we love him. And that is the production of the greatest thing, right? Because faith and hope remain, but the greatest of these is love. That by the testing of fire that we have, that we have grown to love him. And is there anyone who can deny that as you've gone through suffering, that you haven't come out the other side loving him more? It's always the truth. Anyone who suffers according to the will of God, right, and that's the point of this, anyone who suffers according to the will of God, not who suffer against God, not who suffer for doing wrong, but anyone who suffers according to the will of God as God gives us the suffering that we entrust ourselves to him, we'll grow to love him because we know that he's true, because we know that he's good. And so we get the benefit of that testing. But then we also see the benefit that though we don't see him now, even though we can't see him now, but believe in him, we rejoice greatly with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now, I don't want you to walk away from these things depressed right now. How many, how many of you love God like you should, right? I, you know, I, nobody can say that they love him as he should be loved. Anyone joyful at the level that we should be joyful? No, not at all. But that's not a depressing thing. What does that teach us? We just need more suffering, that's all. Right? That's good news. Because suffering does these things. And we just haven't made it yet. But that's what we have to understand, right? That's the theology that he's teaching us here that's opposed to everything in the world. Everything in the world says avoid suffering. Avoid the things that, are ca- that cause pain. Avoid the things that test you that put the pressure on because those are bad. That's what the world teaches. But that's not true because what do we know? What does God reveal to us? What does suffering do? It creates a love for him. It gives us love for him. It gives us joy inexpressible and full of glory. And eventually, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So this salvation that God is at work in us right now, transforming us, we also have that as, uh, as we look forward to the salvation of our souls. And so we have a, a complete heart theology here, right? This is the heart theology of the, um, this section of First Peter, 
that God the Father has caused us to be born again to a living hope. It's God the Father that has done this. And because it's the Father, we have a living hope, which is an inheritance. And it's because God the Father has done this, we are born again to him. Just every bit as truly as Christ is risen from the dead. And we have, therefore, a hope that's living and a hope that's active. We're protected by God through sal- uh, for salvation by faith. Right? So we have a great hope that we have in God himself that he himself will keep us until that day and he'll do it through faith and that the, it is the tested faith, not, not a cheap faith. Right? It's a tested faith and that faith gets tested every day in one way or another sometimes more strongly and sometimes less. But every day, as our faith is tested, it produces the love, joy, and salvation. Now, we can work backwards through this too. Right? What, is, what is it that the tested faith does? This tested faith, um, cause, uh, this tested faith gives us that living hope, assurance of that living hope. So, why suffer? Well, because it gives us tested faith. And why tested faith? So that we have hope. And that is the outcome of, of the Christian life, right? The, the suffering is a good thing, but knowing what the suffering is for is essential. Suffering for a tested hope and tested hope, or tested faith and tested faith for the hope that we have in Christ, okay? So go away from here in hope, right? The destruction of worldliness is at hand. Why? Because we're gonna suffer, We're going to suffer this week. He's going to put away the worldly things. He's going to fry out the things that are perishable and give us what's imperishable. Let's praise God for that. Father, we thank you that in your goodness, you uh, have given us suffering for the sake of our souls. And I pray that uh, we would suffer according to your will, that we would see that it is your will uh, that we suffer for our refining, for our testing. And I pray, Lord, that um, as, as you do this, that our faith would be tested and tried and made more solid and more whole, that we would turn uh, to you in greater love, in greater joy, that this week, uh, as you uh, test us, that you would also give us these benefits and that we would grow as people of hope, that we would know what you have given us, that we would be able to, out of hope, um, have a steadfastness, a boldness of speech, and that we would purify ourselves looking forward to you, uh, to being like you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.